heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope your day yesterday was so blessed that you're overflowing with gratitude on this Friday. A special program for you today as we share some of the highlights from our recent Prevote Stand Summit in Atlanta, Georgia. We'll start with a special message from Ann Graham Lotz about looking to God who is in charge. Pastor Carter Conlon encouraged us as well with a message entitled, The Right Cry and the Right Throne. Then you won't want to miss Pastor Corey Brooks, founder and senior pastor of New Beginnings Church, which was in one of the deadliest neighborhoods in Chicago until their church stepped out. An amazing story. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Check it out. Lots of resources there for you. Our word for today comes from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Too often, as in Isaiah's day, there is more focus and concern about the possible conspiracies involving the devious and deception effort, deceptive efforts of men than there are over the consequences of failing to reverence the Lord. To be sure, there are evil people working to do evil right now in our nation, but our nation has no need to fear their machinations if we have a fear of God, for he will protect us from the conspiracies of man. To join us in our journey through the Bible, visit TonyPerkins.com. While Congress is taking a break to have turkey, they will soon be back in the lame duck session of Congress. Now, the lame duck, as you know, is the dangerous period of time between the old Congress when they wrap up and the new one takes over. It is a time lacking accountability, so bad things happen. To stay up to date on what is happening in this lame duck session, text the word duck to 67742. For the past two years now, Family Research Council has hosted the annual Prevote Stand Summit, our new flagship conference, that was rebranded to better reflect our vision for how Christians should interact in the public square. This past September, people from all over America gathered at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, for our second summit, where Christian leaders and newsmakers shared about the challenges and joys of advancing policies that are pro-life, pro-family, and pro-freedom. By the way, if, you'd already, if you uh, don't already know it, you can check out all the amazing content from the summit at prayvotestand.org slash summit. It was a great event, so check it out. Well, among the speakers who took the stage was Ann Graham Lotz, evangelist, best-selling and award-winning author, founder and president of Angel Ministries, and daughter of the late Billy Graham. She spoke of the importance of looking to God and remembering He is the ultimate authority, even as, and especially as, our nation faces great problems. Here is Ann Graham Lotz at the Prevote Stand Summit. You know, years ago, my mother gave me a um, birthday present, and it came wrapped in brown paper, and uh, when I opened it, it was a multicolored basket that was stuffed with tissue paper. And I thought my mother was playing a practical joke. The postage cost more than the basket. So I called her, and I thanked her very dutifully for the multicolored basket stuffed with tissue paper. And she said, Ann, that's not your real present. Your real present was inside the tissue paper. And I said, well, Mom, I've thrown that away. And she said, well, go get it. So I went out to the trash can and looked through the trash, found the little wad of tissue paper. Inside was a little gold ring with a piece of lapis Lazuli. It had been given to her by somebody from the British Museum. It was part of the pavement of the Shushone Palace where Queen Esther lived with King Artaxerxes. 
So I had thrown away a priceless treasure because I didn't like the way it was wrapped. <laughs> and I wonder, are we in danger of concentrating on the wrapping and the brown packages that show up and missing the treasure that's on the inside? And I know all these seminars and panels and the things that you've been given, a lot of it is focusing on the brown package. And today, has there ever been a time like this when there's a brown package showing up at every level, every angle, every place? It's stunning what's going on in this state, in our nation, and in our world, and I expect in your own life. We're all under attack. So I would like to use as an illustration um, something that took place in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the nation of Judah had experienced about 52 years of peace and prosperity. But rather than use that time to draw near to God and look up and thank him for his blessings and live out her life in gratitude to him for what he had done, instead she rejected him and she turned away from him. And God raised up one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets at the very beginning of his ministry, Isaiah, was preaching a sermon in uh, Isaiah chapter 5, had six points, they all began with woe. So I'm just going to give you the six points, I've put them in my own words, but if you have your Bible, you can open to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8, woe to the greedy. Verse 11, woe to the alcoholic and the chemically dependent. Verse 18, woe to the religious hypocrite, those who pretend to be more spiritual than they are. Verse 20, woe to those who spend truth and exchange it for a lie. Woe to those who call fornication safe sex. Woe to those who call an abomination gay. Woe to those who call murder a right to choose. You know, they just take the truth and they spin it into a lie. Woe to you. Verse 21, woe to the proud. Verse 22, woe to those who live for pleasure and entertainment. And he was just preaching up a storm, pointing his finger at everybody. And then a crisis hit. And if I can just lateral over to the United States of America, all of those woes we could pronounce, couldn't we? You watch the news, you catch it online, you see the headlines, and it's stunning what's taking place in our nation. A nation that, in a way like Judah, we're a covenant nation dedicated to the glory of God by President George Washington when he was first inaugurated, and we've rejected God. We've turned away from him. And we've had more than 52 years of relative peace and prosperity, but instead of using that time to draw near to him, to live out our national life in gratitude for his blessings, acknowledging that all blessings come from him, we've turned away from him. So we're in crisis, aren't we? And if you don't know that after this morning, <laughs> I don't know that anything more can be said. <laughs> but our nation is in crisis. So that's the context of Isaiah chapter 6. So let me read it to you, just the first few verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah's testimony. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, by the way, that's the brown package that shows up in Isaiah's life. I won't go into their relationship, but that shook Isaiah to his toes. I saw the Lord. He was seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So when the crisis erupted, when the brown package showed up, Isaiah had the sense to look up. And when he did, he saw the Lord. And when crisis strikes, whether it's in your life personally, or whether it's in this state, or this nation, or our world, the most appropriate response we can have is to look up and say, God, what is it that you're up to? What are you doing? Are you trying to get my attention? There's something you want to say to me. And Isaiah said he looked up when the crisis struck. When the brown package showed up, he looked up and saw the Lord. And Jesus said in John chapter 12 that Isaiah saw his glory. So the vision that Isaiah has in chapter 6 is a vision of the pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus, before Bethlehem. And I believe... We need, as a church, people who call ourselves by God's name, we need a fresh vision of Jesus. And then he said, and I'm just taking the New National Version and um, word by word, phrase by phrase, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. That meant he saw Jesus in charge in control of everything that was taking place in his nation's life and in his own life. And I would just ask you, what has caused you to doubt that Jesus is actually seated on the throne? That he's in control of what's happening today? And after everything you've heard this morning, does it cause you to question, Jesus, are you weak? Are you on vacation? Are you looking the other way? And yet, Isaiah said, let me, let me just make it personally. What about you? Are you personally doubting that Jesus is on the throne? When your child comes home from school and says he's transitioned into a different gender, you say, Jesus, really? Are you on the throne? And you come back from the doctor and you're diagnosed with a life-threatening disease and you say, Jesus, are you on the throne? And your spouse walks out or the spouse of your child walks out and you say, Jesus, are you on the throne? And Isaiah said, I looked up and I saw Jesus seated on the throne. At the end of human history, the apostle John says, I saw heaven open and Jesus is still seated on the throne. And as Jonathan Kahn says, he's not getting off. <laughs> he's in control. He was high, seated on the throne high. You know, this election year, so many different People are vying for a high office and a higher office and a higher office and it doesn't matter what office is the highest. If it's the one in the United States, in the White House, or whether it's worldwide in some other nation, you know, whoever, whatever is the highest position that this nation, this planet has to offer, Jesus holds a higher position than whatever that is. He's higher than all. Amen. So when we pray... We need to remember that we're appealing to the highest authority there is in the universe. 
one who is in charge, one who gives us his attention. And not only was he high, he was exalted. No one is greater than Jesus. And our nation is facing great problems. And actually, I think they're so great that some of them don't have a human solution. We are digging ourselves into a hole from which there's no climbing out. But no problem that we face as a nation, no problem that you face is greater than he is. Okay? He is greater than all. So what are the problems that you're facing? Maybe it's a death. From COVID, you have someone in your family who's had COVID and suffered and put on a ventilator and not come off. Somebody who's dealing with a long haul effect. Somebody who has cancer. Somebody who's going through a divorce. Maybe, you know, something, some other disaster. Somebody who's coming from one of the flooded areas or the fires in our nation. And, you know, we look at it in the news for a few moments and then we go on to something else. But it'll take them years to dig out. Maybe never get back to where they were. Problems that are great, but Jesus is greater than all. You are listening to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins. Today, broadcasting a special program from our second annual Pray Vote Stand Summit that was held in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, that was Ann Graham Lotz, who spoke at the summit. If you want to hear more speakers, well, you can. Just go to Pray Vote Stand. Dot .org it's all archived there again that's prevotestand.org all right don't go away after the break we'll hear some more from the summit turning to pastor Carter Conlon who is the general overseer of Times Square Church in New York who talked about the right cry at the right throne don't go away we're coming back with more of this special edition of Washington Watch right after this Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Everything is terrible. Isn't that awful? Really? Well, listen to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you teach your children the importance of having a thankful heart in all things? Do your children see you wringing your hands and complaining about all the things that are disrupting your life? Maybe you need to change your approach. Let your children see that you will not let bad news engulf you. Even when things seem desperate and dark, you can find peace and joy. Yep. By your example, you can show your children the benefits of having a thankful heart. You know the best way to claim joy is to speak words of thanksgiving to God? Try this approach. 
Say, God, I am thankful for, and then fill in the blanks. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home. Preborn celebrates that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Roe has been responsible for the slaughter of over 63 million babies. Now the decision to abort a child will be left in the hands of the states, and sadly, abortions will continue in the most liberal states. Over the past 16 years, Preborn has positioned their clinics in the top abortion cities where 50% of abortions occur. Preborn's work of saving babies' lives continues at an even greater level as they save babies' lives and defend their centers from the radical hate groups who want to shut them down. Preborn's response is dependent on you, the pro-life community. Be a part of rescuing lives and changing hearts for Christ. $28 sponsors one ultrasound and $140 will help to rescue five babies' lives. Dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or go to preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. Welcome back to this special edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. And the website, TonyPerkins.com. I do hope you had a great Thanksgiving yesterday. Um, You know, it's so important that we be thankful, even in the midst of challenges, okay? Even more so, really. We need to be thankful. Well, today we're broadcasting uh, special content from our second annual Pray Vote Stand Summit that was held in Atlanta, Georgia. Among the many speakers this year, my good friend, Pastor Carter Conlon, general overseer of Times Square Church in New York, he titled his message, The Right Cry at the Right Throne, starting with the the cries of the Israelites recorded in Exodus chapter 5. Here is what he had to share. Exodus chapter 5, verse 15, says, Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. Now, this is an incredible moment in the history of the people of God of that particular time. These are the descendants of Abraham. You remember in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now talk about an incredible opportunity for these people. This is a promise made to Abraham. These are the descendants of Abraham, so they would know that this is their promise. This is their history. As a matter of fact, Abraham, their, their spiritual and physical father in a sense, he had had an encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ just in the, on the outskirts of Sodom. And they would have known a lot of this. They would have known we have access to God. This is the heritage of these people. But here are their leaders in a, in a season of hardship coming before, at least those persons in charge of this part of leadership, coming before the throne of Pharaoh and crying out for straw. It's an amazing thing. You know, we, we as the people of God can end up living so far beneath our calling that we're not even aware of it. They had access to the throne of God. They had a promise that I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. 
They had a promise that in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. They, they had literally had access to God. They had access to the promises of God and the power of God. And yet the leaders at this particular time chose to appear before the throne of Pharaoh. And instead of crying out to God, they're crying out to Pharaoh. Instead of the promises of protection and provision and, and all of the things that God had promised to give them, they're asking for straw. And, and the worst of it all is that had they succeeded in getting some straw, they probably would have come back to the people with a praise report. For real, straw. You wonder sometimes when we realize the power of prayer, because Jesus told us, whatever you ask for, what? You shall receive. Ask, you shall receive. Everyone who asks, receives. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened. Can you imagine if we just believed that verse of Scripture? The prayer meeting in the house of God would be jam-packed. People would be presenting their petitions before God and expecting God to answer because he did say, everyone who asks receives. Now, the people of, of God of this particular time had taken a journey from the place that they were into the nation of Egypt because of difficulty and famine. As a matter of fact, they left the place that they were in, in Genesis chapter 45, verses 17 and onward. Uh, this was their history. Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart and go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father, bring your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. I find it interesting in the context of it was 402 years ago today that the Mayflower left England and headed for America. As the people of God of this particular time left their own shore, as you may call it that, their own land at that point, because of hardship, the people on the Mayflower left because many of them were experiencing forms of hardship, including religious persecution. And they came to a new land, and Pharaoh said, don't be concerned about your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. In chapter 47, it says, Pharaoh spoke to Joseph and said, the land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and your brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. So this was their history. They had come into the land, and the land had opened its arms to them. The land had blessed them. The land recognized their giftings and their calling. And, of course, they had been a tremendous blessing to the nation. Keep in mind that without Joseph, the nation of Egypt may have largely starved to death. It was because of Joseph that the people were spared and the, the vision of God was, was unfolded and, the, and, the, uh, and produce was, was brought to keep the people alive in a time of famine. And also there, there would be many uh, chief herdsmen who brought great blessing. You, you think of America, the number of Christian people that built universities and hospitals and made inventions. And, and, and in this country, for example, there's, there's a great heritage of Christianity. And, and many godly Christian people were used in powerful ways to bring great good to the nation. But again, in Exodus chapter 1, a new season and a new reality arose. It says there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. It doesn't mean he didn't know about him, but he, he just, he, he had no longer an appreciation for what Joseph had brought to the nation or Joseph's family had contributed to the nation. He, he, had, he had crafted an alternate worldview, I guess may I put it that way, in his mind. Ironically, he knew something about the people of God that they didn't know about themselves. 
He said, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Now think that one through for a moment. The people of the children of Israel didn't have an army. They didn't have much in the way of weaponry as, as Egypt had at this time. But he knew instinctively because of the history and because of the giftings of God and the things that had been accomplished that these people had a might that perhaps the people of uh, it, Egypt knew nothing about. This is a special edition of Washington Watch. We're broadcasting some of the highlights from our second annual Prevote Stand Summit that was held in Atlanta, Georgia. What you just saw, what you just heard, was Pastor Carter Conlon of Times Square Church. If you missed our summit or want to revisit any of it, all of the panels and keynote speakers are archived at prevotestand.org slash summit. So I encourage you to check that out. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Now, don't miss the Giving Tuesday $125,000 opportunity to double your impact in equipping Christians to stand for biblical truth and our constitutional freedoms. Give us a call, 800-225-4008, or visit TonyPerkins.com to donate today. Join with us. Partner with us. Again, call 800-225-4008, or visit TonyPerkins.com. Right, when we come back, we'll continue with Pastor Carter Con. A charitable gift annuity through the AFA Foundation is an excellent way to provide yourself with guaranteed permanent income while at the same time supporting the American Family Association. Here's what one supporter told us. I very much want to see God's Word continue into the next generation. This is a way I can help AFA spread the truth and promote their biblical stand. My experience with the AFA Foundation continues to remind me that I have a small part in helping AFA in the battle for our nation's values. Financial planning is essential to your family. A charitable gift annuity through the AFA Foundation is one way you can support AFA and the health of our nation. The planners at the AFA Foundation are here to help you do the most with your finances. You can call us at 800-326-4543, extension 345. Find us on Facebook or email foundation at afa.net and learn whether a charitable gift annuity is right for you. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. The credit card debt happened when my daughter was born. I was using one credit card account to roll over into another credit card account, and it was snowballing. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. When I first called Trinity, the representative understood the need based on the situation. They were great people to work with. From the first phone call that I made, they had me on a track to mitigate the credit card debt. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. Working with Trinity gave me the ability to save thousands of dollars. My name's Doug, and thanks to Trinity, I'm debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Today, we are, we are broadcasting a special, special program. It comes from our second annual Pray Vote Stand Summit that was held in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, this stuff was so good, I just wanted to share, share it with you on this Friday. Now, in this last segment, we heard from Pastor Carter Conlon, General Overseer of Times Square Church in New York City, who delivered a message on the right cry at the right throne. And he shared about 
the cries of the Israelites during their time in Egypt. We'll pick back up where Pastor Carter began talking about the new reality of the Israelites under the new Pharaoh, who saw the Israelites as a threat and decided to oppress the people of God. And he did so by not only afflicting them with their burdens, he also commanded midwives to cast into the river every son born to the Israelites. And, as Pastor Carter points out, it's a story that sounds very familiar. Here it is. And this is their sudden and new reality. They're being oppressed by taskmasters and their children are being thrown into the river. Similar to today when we see our children being thrown into the river of confusion from, from the ages at kindergarten, from gender confusion to confusion about God in middle school to, to the, the forbidding of prayer in high school to the radicalization of our young people in our colleges and universities. Nothing really ever changes. History always just repeats itself. The big problem here wasn't necessarily Pharaoh, although that was a problem. The big problem we see in our opening text where the leaders, some of the leadership of the people of God of that time are at the throne of Pharaoh and they're negotiating with that which has been sent to captivate them. The point being, you can't negotiate with that which has been sent to captivate you. It must be overthrown by the power of God. That's the reality that they were facing. It's the reality perhaps that many are facing today. It's like the alcoholic trying to negotiate with alcohol and say, well, I'll just drink a little less, then you won't destroy my family or my mind or my home or my future. I'll just, I'll just consume a little bit less. It's a negotiation tactic with that which has been sent to captivate you. You can't negotiate with captivity. You call it to God, and he has to overthrow it. And so the question is, how was this captivity overthrown? Now we have, we have foremen, as it is of the, of the children of Israel, crying out to Pharaoh for straw. But there's another group of people, rank and file people, maybe just like you and I. It's grandmas, it's grandpas, it's moms, it's dads, it's brothers, it's sisters, it's people who are concerned. Maybe first and foremost about the honor of God. Where's God in all of this? What happened to us? Why are we allowing ourselves to be so marginalized and be pushed to the sidelines and be under afflictions and laws and taskmasters when we are the people of God, when we have access to the throne of God? We have promises from God that we are, going, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. And the Lord said to Moses, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here was the cry. It was another cry. It wasn't public. It was most likely in private. It was the cry of the mom at night. Didn't know how she's going to save her children. It was the cry of, 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 of the persons who were concerned, as we ought to be in our generation, of the drug addiction in our communities, the violence, as we heard about in Chicago and such like, the hopelessness of a whole generation being raised without God, the confusion of our young children that are being confused on every conceivable level in the places that are supposed to be educating them. And suddenly, the people that had enough of it you see, that's why pray is at the top of pray, vote, and stand. The people had had enough, and people began to do what they were called to do in the beginning, and they began to cry out to God, not to Pharaoh, not for straw, but for freedom. Amen. They began to cry out for their heritage. 
It's time now. It's time for you and I to begin to cry out to God. It's time that we, yes, it's time. You know, we're prone to wait till we have the last five cents in our pocket and we've spent it. Then we start crying out to God. We, we, it's funny the way we are. We, we exhaust our own resources. And it's only in, re, in exhaustion in the sense that common sense finally settles in and says, wait a minute, aren't we the people of God? Aren't we supposed to be more than conquerors through Christ who loves us? Didn't Jesus say, have faith in God, for verily I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes that the things he says, he shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. It is time to cry out for our children. It's time to cry out for our families. It's time to cry out for the opiate addicted in our society. The grandmas and the grandpas who don't see a future and they don't know the way out and they don't know the way forward. It's time to let our hair down. It's time that we start crying the right cry at the right throne. And say, God Almighty, have mercy. It's time to drop our pride and, and not be concerned about what people around us think. It's time that we go to our knees besides our bed at night and for our grandchildren and our children and our cousins and our brothers and our sisters and our towns and our communities because we are circling the drain as a nation right now. It is only the cry at the throne of God that is going to make a difference. We need a spiritual awakening in America now. We need God's intervention in this situation. And that was Pastor Carter Conlon at FRC's second annual Pray Vote Stand Summit in Atlanta, Georgia. And this is a special edition of Washington Watch on this Friday. If you want to hear more great speakers from the Pray Vote Stand Summit, you can find it all at prayvotestand.org. And again, don't miss the opportunity to join in Giving Tuesday. We have a match of $125,000. If you want to partner with us, your match will be, your gift will be doubled. 800-225-4008 or TonyPerkins.com. Right, don't go away. We're coming back right after this. Throughout Scripture, there is a warning to all believers that they will be persecuted. It isn't a question of if, but when. Scripture even notes that those who are persecuted are blessed because they will be rewarded in heaven. So persecution isn't something Christians should fear, but it is something they should be prepared for. So many Christians in the U.S. are far removed from the threat of persecution, but Pastor Andrew Brunson knows persecution well. In October 2016, Brunson was falsely accused of terrorism and held for two years in Turkish prisons. Following a worldwide prayer movement and significant political pressure from the U.S. government, he was released in October 2018. Since then, Andrew has devoted himself to helping equip Christians in the West to prepare for hostility. Brunson led an eight-part video series titled Prepare to Stand. In it, he shares some of the lessons he learned on staying faithful during his imprisonment. Watch this important series by going to frc.org slash prepare to stand. Again, that's frc.org slash prepare to stand. Do you feel like you're in control of your finances, or is it more like the other way around? Sometimes all it takes is a little help and encouragement, and we've got just the thing. It's Money Wise with Rob West. Every weekday morning from 9 to 10 Central, Rob and his money-savvy friends and colleagues help you stay in control of your finances. And it's not from the world's perspective, but from God's. Don't miss Money Wise with Rob West every weekday morning from 9 to 10 Central, right here on AFR.
American Family Studios was started back in 2011 as a way to advance the Christian worldview into an increasingly media-rich culture. Media is like such a powerful tool to communicate the gospel. I love writing stories, getting in my office, and just thinking, how can we portray this concept of who God's character is? And to get to use the gifts that God has given me is really a joy. AmericanFamilyStudios.net Persecuted Christians in China, they're beaten, jailed, and threatened with death, and they need your help today. This is Bible League International, and just outside of Beijing, 12-year-old Ming became a believer after learning English as a second language through a program from Bible League because the Bible is the source of the reading assignments. Ming would lead her father, Daiku, a Confucianist to Christ, but her bitter atheist mother has turned them in for attending a house church near their home. We're not sure what's going to happen to these two, but they remain faithful in worship, and they're praying for Bibles because in their church of 200, there's only about three Three Bibles, many are known to stay after the service to write down some scriptures just to have something to take into their week. And 50-year-old Katsu, beaten and jailed many times as a pastor, he led his atheist interrogator to Christ. Together they've seen thousands come to Christ. They need Bibles in China. So in this season of giving, will you remember the persecuted church in China and around the world at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20? Call 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Send Bibles Now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Thanks for tuning in for today's special program, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Now, we've been playing some of the highlights from our second annual Pray Vote Stand Summit that was held in Atlanta, Georgia. We had a great, great lineup of speakers who addressed a number of very relevant topics. And you can find all of the sessions, which, again, very informative, very educational PrayVoteStand.org slash summit. Well, to close out today's special edition, we're going to turn to Pastor Corey Brooks, who shared with us some of the great things that God has been doing through his ministry in Chicago. Pastor Corey is founder and senior pastor of New Beginnings Church uh, in one of the Chicago suburbs or one of the Chicago neighborhoods. He is also the founder and CEO of Project Hood. That's H-O-O-D, which stands for Helping Others Obtain Destiny. Pastor Corey has become a leading voice and presence in the fight against violence gripping Chicago's poorest neighborhoods. Listen to this. So for the remaining time that I have, I want to talk about identity politics the right way. Whenever you hear the south side of Chicago, you almost know what's coming next, right? A story about guns or violence or desperate poverty. When we make it on the news on the south side of Chicago, and we do quite often, it's usually always covered with bad news. The church that I pastor at 66 in King Drive on the south side of Chicago, we are in one of the neighborhoods that have frequent shootings. I'm sure you've heard about our neighborhood on Fox News, where I've been able to share about rooftop revelations and talk about the violence on a consistent basis. Daily life in our community, is very hard. We've had pharmacies in our community close and not reopen since the riots during the summer of 2020. We have people who have, are faced with difficulty of just getting their prescriptions filled. We have one poorly stocked grocery store, if you could believe that. And our children are trapped in failing schools. One of our local schools in our neighborhood has a 4% math proficiency, a 6% reading 
in proficiency and add to all of this extreme gang violence. Every year I preach at several funerals of young men who have been killed in gang-related shootings. These are men under the age of 25 whose lives have been snuffed out. Just this past Wednesday in our park down the street from us, there was a mass shooting that you probably didn't even hear about. One of the nurses in our church was there and she was performing CPR to one of the individuals who died. There she was covered in blood. That's a cold hard truth of life in Chicago these days. Here's another truth for you. If gun control laws worked, Folks, Chicago would be the safest place in all of America. We have the strictest, and I mean the strictest, gun laws the left could dream up. Guns are plentiful in Chicago, but only in the criminals' hands. Chicago schools are a disaster created by the left. Our kids can't read or do math. But they are learning something. What is that? I'm glad you asked me. They are learning to hate America. I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. No list of complaints about the brokenness of Chicago would be complete without mention of the left's war on police. Last year, my city cut police budget by 63 million in the middle of a crime surge. This was the left's brilliant idea. Now this year we have to restore the funding, but the city has reduced the size of the police force, can you believe this, by 1,343. Yes, we have reduced our police force by 1,343. Fewer police officers to fight crime and protect our neighborhoods. There are consequences consequences to these crazy leftist ideas. People are no longer putting up with the brokenness of our city. You may have seen the news, I'm sure, of the billionaire investor Ken Griffin, who, by the way, donated $5 million to Project Hood so we can build a com community center. <laughs> Ken Griffin is leaving Chicago and moving his company to Miami. Mr. Griffin made the following comments about the skyrocketing crime in Chicago. If people, he says, if people aren't safe here, they're not going to live here. I've had multiple colleagues mugged at gunpoint. I've had a colleague stabbed on the way to work. Countless issues of burglary, he said. And he's not the only one leaving Chicago. According to a new study from the University of Illinois at Chicago, Chicago is now the slowest growing city in the U.S. Since its peak in 1950, Chicago has lost nearly one million residents. Another sign that our city is in decline, property prices are falling in Chicago. Here's a recent headline from Crane's Chicago Business. Chicago home prices are going down while other cities are going up. Our nation has rampant inflation, but housing prices are falling in Chicago. Is it any wonder?
If your city completely bottoms out and is drained of its productive resources or workforce, prices will eventually fall. And we're seeing that overall in our real estate market. But our purpose here is not to look at the many, and I do mean many, failures of Chicago because in all sincerity, that would take all night. Instead, I point out these because Chicago is instructive. Chicago is instructive for us. Chicago has not had a Republican mayor since 1931. Think about that for a moment. The city has been controlled unilaterally by Democrats for generations. Chicago gives us a chance to see the consequences of unbridled leftism. This is what happens when there are no conservatives in office to counteract the worst instincts of the left. We hear so much from the left about identity politics today. We hear it so much. The left is obsessed with buzzwords about identity. But have you noticed how the left does identity politics? The left uses not just labels to create identities rooted in victimhood, always using language of oppression. Ask a liberal why Chicago is failing, and you will hear different explanations, all rooted in systems of oppression. This worldview that sees oppression everywhere is based on false and destructive identities. The first destructive identity the left has given us is that we are all on our own. Our identity is someone's, our identity as someone's child does not matter. Our identity as parents does not matter. And of course, our identity as children of God is irrelevant and derided by the left every single day. If you show me a boy on the south side of Chicago who has a dad present in his home and present in his life and a boy who never met his father, I can tell you immediately, and so could you, which child is more likely to struggle in school, experiment with drugs, wind up in a gang, and potentially end up in jail? This isn't rocket science. And yet, the left spends so much time and taxpayer funding to try to analyze risk factors of gangs, all while telling us that fathers don't matter. Now let me be clear. We all know successful people who have grown up without fathers. I'm one of them. And the moms who helped those children grow into men and women God called them to be, they should be thanked profusely. But those, my brothers and sisters, are exceptions. And the path is fraught with so many difficulties. Fathers matter. And fatherhood matters. If I was at my church, I would have said, can I get an amen? 
our identity not just as one man's child, but as God's child can keep us from a lifetime of hurt and pain. The left has told us for too long that fathers can be replaced with government programs. The simple reality is that they cannot be replaced. This is the worst of identity politics because this war on fatherhood, both earthly and heavenly, has devastating consequences. Identity matters, and our identity as God's children, who are fiercely loved by God, is the absolute most important identity anyone in this building or anyone in the world could ever have. And then there's another false identity that's being pushed by the left. That's the lie we have now, that, that's the lie that we have no common identity as Americans in this country. The left prefers the divisiveness of identity politics here. This is why the 1619 Project has set, out, set off such a firestorm in recent years. Now you might be tempted to think that this sounds like a small deal, it's not really that important. Pastor, that, that, that's a classroom issue. It's a curriculum issue, right? Let's be clear, clear about something. No individual, and I do mean no individual, can take part in the American dream or the American experience of individual liberty and personal responsibility if he has or she has been indoctrinated by these dangerous ideologies and told to believe the American dream does not apply to them. Our schools today are going down a terrifying path. They are teaching children every day, especially in Chicago, to hate America, view themselves as victims, to think of our nation's beautiful founding as some kind of act of racism. And don't miss this, to think that the American dream does not, cannot, and will ever apply to them. That's why the left is obsessed with the teaching kids a concocted New York Times history of 1619. The story of 1776 is a real story. And that's what we should be teaching our children if we want them to grow up and be able to participate in believing in the American dream. And third and finally, there is this issue of our identity that comes from our work. Now, our work does not necessarily have to be outside the home or even paid. There's plenty of God-ordained work that does not come from a paycheck. Amen? Amen. <laughs> but idleness is not part of God's plan for us. Increasingly, though, it is part of the left's plan. The left has confused understanding the benefits of work to reducing the value of a job as just a paycheck. That's why for the left, a welfare check is an adequate replacement for a job. It's the leftist framework. Money in from a welfare check is just as good as money in from a paycheck, a job. But let me tell you, welfare checks are about one thing. And I know this for a fact, survival. That's what a welfare check is about. It's about 
survival. Jobs provide so much more than survival. Work gives us a sense of purpose, a reason to wake up in the morning, a sense of dignity. And there is no replacement for a child that is able to see his or her parent going off to work to provide for their family. Well, in closing his time at the Prairie Boat Stand Summit, Pastor Corey talked about the dangerous identity politics of the left. And he shared the right way to talk about identity politics. Here is what he had to say. So where does this all leave us as conservatives? What do we do about it? Even as we reject the dangerous identity politics of the left, we should be replacing those noxious ideas with true identity. Helping people understand their identity as children of God. Helping people understand their identity as Americans who are blessed to live in this nation. As individuals with a calling, hallelujah, and with a purpose. And we should never be shy about our brand of identity politics. In fact, our entire business should be identity politics. But the kind of politics that elevates individuals and creates opportunities. Thanks again for tuning in for this special edition of Washington Watch. Again, that was Pastor Corey Brooks speaking at our second annual Pray Vote Stand Summit. Once again, if you'd like access to more content, go to prayvotestand.org slash summit. Well, that's all we have time for today. And I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.